This message was recorded live at Plantation Seventh-day Adventist Church in Plantation, Florida. Welcome to PlantationSDA.tv. Here you will find a diverse variety of Bible-based topics and conversations. God's master plan to inspire your mind, bring peace to your heart, and uplift your soul. May you be blessed and encouraged as you listen to God's Word. I just scared myself there with my own voice. And Sister Mala, God works through you because we were just astounded there when the music goes off and then it came back on and you were still on point with where your music was and then you still kept on continuing. That is amazing, and that's where a heart of praise comes in, because no matter what happens, your praise will still keep on going, no matter what. Father God, what a privilege it is, Father, to have come through these days of prayer with you together as a family. And Lord, you know what is happening in each of our lives, Lord. And even the inner turmoil that some of us have been experiencing, Father, but God, you who reign on the throne, we can put our trust in you, Father. And we are so thankful because of that. And so, Father, as, as our hearts desire to come back to the altar, Father, as we have come back over and over again this week, Lord, May you continue to dwell in our hearts, Lord, and tug at us for that closer relationship with you. Father, be with the words of my mouth as this is your story, Father. In your name we pray, amen. I want to take you to Daniel, Daniel 1. And I, I'm, I'm just going to go straight in because I, I don't want to go over because sometimes, you know me, when, when I tend to go over sometimes. So I'm going to go straight into the word and we're going to go into Daniel 1. And the topic of tonight is don't lose your mind. Now, what is it that makes you come, in, come close to losing your mind? Is it when things just continue to happen over and over again, and you think that you are out of this particular rough water, but then the water, something else happens, and the wave finally crashes over you, and you are gulping. Your lungs are filling up with seawater, and you feel like you're drowning. Is this when you lose your mind? Do you lose your mind when your relationships are crumbling and you cannot fix it? I've had many opportunities to lose my mind, but thank the good Lord, he has kept my sanity in check just, just. But sometimes I have become overwhelmed. And I bring you to Daniel And we begin in Daniel 1 because we begin with these three Hebrew boys whose city was besieged. And it says that 
The king instructed the men to be taken and brought into his household. Now, some would think, ooh, you're being brought into a king's household. Let's make this clear that these three Hebrew boys were ripped from their homes, and they were brought to a culture in which they were forced to adopt. They had no choice. And these weren't just regular Hebrew boys. It says the king chose, in verse 4, I'm sorry, I did not give this to you, but I'll read it, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So, they, so the king was picking perfect-looking young men to represent him, not just any regular Joe Schmo would do. Beautiful, intelligent men to represent the palace. But then there was one more thing that was asked of them. It was said that not only would they take him, but the culture, their own culture, in the attempt to take away their culture, their names were taken. What takes away your culture more is when you have to change your name because your name represents where you come from. And so it says to them, Daniel was given the name Belteshazzar, I know I was going to say that wrong, Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But there was more when you would have to serve in the king's stead. You were not only given the clothes, your name was not only removed and you were given a new one, but now you had to eat the king's food. This is taking away everything that these Hebrew boys knew. And what did the king eat? I mean, we, we've seen pictures, right? Um, our imaginations come through, but... A daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine in which he drank. So they were supposed to eat all this supposedly good food, but they knew that this food was not good. But I want to show you what it says here in Daniel 8. Now, before we go there, think about when these boys were taken. Would they lose their mind? These boys were anywhere from the ages of 13 to 17 years old. They were teenagers. So now to be taken from their homes, forced to adopt a culture, could they easily have lost their minds? They could have. But here we have Daniel purposed in his heart, in verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This was a bold ask. We don't want to eat the king's food. This is the one thing that they were very purposeful of, to not defile their own temples. So a test was given. 
And he says, please test your servants. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here it says, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you. Then compare and see what you think. At the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portions of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all the literature and wisdom. And Daniel, he gave understanding in in all visions and dreams. Now, this was a testing. At the end of these days, the king had said that they should be brought before him. The king himself interviewed these men in whom had asked for the test. And among them, none was found like Hananiah, Daniel, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king as they could, as they had asked for. And in all matters of wisdom, and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realms. What happens? I can imagine these three, four young men praying, asking God, help us through this trial, help us to prove you. Help us to prove everything that we have been taught And let us glorify you in our service. See, this is why, this is why they could do what they did. This is why they were exalted above all. In my Bible, I'm I'm privileged to have some quotes in here. And it says, God has called us to shine just as much as Daniel was sent into Babylon to shine. Let no one say that he cannot shine because he has not so much influence as some others may have. What? God wants you to do is to use the influence you have. Daniel probably did not have much influence down in Babylon at first, but God soon gave him more because he was faithful and used what he had. So here we have these young men in complete full service to God, able to serve in, which, in the ways in which they were brought up with because that's all they were left with, their belief systems. Now able to serve. And we, we see, as we go through the story, the king now is having problems. He's having dreams that he cannot interpret. And a particular dream, he's asking his astrologers, his men, to tell him what these dreams mean. He's being driven crazy. And all his young men and astrologers and wise men come and they're trying and they realize that they can't. And because they can't, the king is in a rage. And he's like, if you cannot tell me what my dream means, you will be killed. Everybody that he has chosen, he has appointed, will be killed, and this included Daniel and his friends. Now, these other young men, not not Daniel's friends, they also said 
in verse 2, 11, it says, It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. See, all the gods that they served, they realized could not do anything for them. There was something greater that could do something, and they knew that they were powerless. They were powerless to interpret the dream, and they knew that they were at the mercy of the king's hand. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began they began killing the wise men, and now they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So these Hebrew boys were ripped away, brought to another country. Their lives were at stake there, but here again, now they find their lives in danger. They who have served well. And so Daniel went and asked his advisor and asked the king to give him time that he might tell, verse 16, the king the interpretation, verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, and so that Daniel and his friends might not perish with the rest of them. It says here that they might seek mercy. What were they doing from God? Folks, what were they doing? They began, they went back to the altar and they began to pray. See, but this was already deeply rooted in them. Going back to the altar was not a new thing. But when you are rooted in the vine, when you are rooted in the living water, this is what flows through you. So at times of this type of peril, you are able now to calmly go back to the altar and not lose your mind. And so they went back to the altar and they prayed asking God to reveal the dream so that Daniel could interpret it. Then the secret, in verse 19, was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So what does it say that Daniel does? Daniel then blessed the God of heaven. See, he didn't take, he didn't take the accolades for himself saying, yes, I'm the one that figured out the vision. He blessed the God of heaven. He says, I thank you and praise you. Verse 23, O God of my fathers, that you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. And so he tells the king, what this dream is. And the king is astounded and he's happy and, and he's saying, wow, who is this God? Wow, blessed are you. But Daniel turns around in verse 
2.30, he says, But as for me, king, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but this has been given to me for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And of course, the king is happy. He does not kill Daniel and his friends. Once again, in this possible way to lose their mind, they averted death once more, and their service to the king continued. But we must remember that, that sometimes, no matter how many times God shows you something, that sometimes kings are still stubborn. So he built the statue. And he commanded the whole kingdom, his whole kingdom, to come and worship the statue, which was himself. Now the faith was going to come into action. Do these boys... Do these young men, do Daniel now, after all that they have been through, after cheating death once or twice, do they now obey and fall? So the command went out, when you hear the trumpet and the lyre and the flute fall down and worship. And the sound went out and everybody... I would love to see, and there probably is a movie out there that I have that that I that has been done, and I haven't seen it yet. I would love to see a whole nation fall down and just three remain standing. I would love to see it depicted, and I can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar just looking out over all his land and saying, yes, yes, yet what is that? Who are they? Are those the men who I've given favor to? Who who I've allowed to have a whole new diet? These very men are the ones who are refusing to bow down to this. Yes, Addie, the nerve. The nerve. And so he's told, right? He's told these men are not falling down. And he commands them to come. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 315, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image in which I have set up. Let me give you one more chance. Now, if you're ready at the time, the harp and the flute and the lyre play, fall down and worship the image which I have made. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you? From my hands. Some men would tremble in fear. Some men would not have an answer, but these three men had an answer for the king. And they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need 
to answer you in this matter. Can you think of the blasé way in which they said it? We don't need to show you who is God. This is what they were saying. We do not need to prove God to you. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you that we do not serve you, your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So they are blatantly admitting our God is powerful. He can save. See, this is what it is to have yourself rooted in the vine. This is what it is to have your life rooted in the living water because when that fire turns up, you are able to stand and to drink and say, I know who my God is. Did they lose their minds at this moment? No, they answered the king with firmness and positivity, even saying, I know that we know that we might die, but we know who we will still worship, and it will not be you. Could you stand in this time and age if a gun, and I am serious, if a gun were pointed to your head and it has been cocked and you heard it and someone says to you, worship any other God but not, the, but, but not God, or God, the living God, could you still stand knowing that your life is going to end in that second and say, I will still serve my God? See, these men did not lose their minds. And I can imagine them now praying in their minds as they were marched off down to that furnace, praying as they saw the furnace get turned up seven times, praying as they saw people fall, fall down in death because of the heat of that fire, and still the name of God still rang on their lips as they were thrown in. And the king looks over, and he's looking in, and he's saying, hold on. Hmm. I thought there were three there that we threw in. Why is there a fourth? Who is the fourth that looks like God? And he pulls them out. He calls them out of the fire and they walk out and nothing, there's not a single hair on their heads, on their bodies, nothing was singed on them. He was astonished and he rose. And he says, blessed be, now what is the king saying? He had said before, who is the God who can save you? But now he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. 
see, when people watch you walk through your furnace because of the trials that you're going through, and they watch you do it in full strength, knowing that you are fully relying on God, they are also being drawn closer to God. And their lips, who may not have truly believed at first, your life becomes a living testimony for him because they watch you go back to the altar every single time. And so now the king gives praise. Finally, we have Daniel years later. He's been appointed let's say governor, I I don't know what the second in command said, set over the kingdom over 120 satraps. He was was a command over all of these leaders. And see, when, when you earn favor, when you walk in favor with God and man also gives you favor, favor, there's also man who does not like to see you walking in favor of man. And the jealousy burns. And the hatred starts. And then people plot against you. And so here he was. And they hated him so much that they set a trap. And the plan, and and they made a decree for the king to sign that nobody, so it's it's a repeat of history. Nobody shall pray to anybody but the king. Knowing full well that Daniel went to the altar three times a day. Knowing full well that that window opened up morning, noon, and night, and he sat and prayed to his heavenly father, knowing full well what Daniel's schedule was, and Daniel knew, okay, well, that's the trap. That's not going to keep me from honoring my heavenly father. And they saw it, and they saw him back at the altar praying heedless of the decree that has gone out to the nation. And they go and they tell the king, hey, didn't your word say, didn't you sign it with your seal that whoever goes against this shall be killed? And now King Darius, he actually loved Daniel. And it says that he was praying or he was hoping that Daniel would find a way out of this trouble says in Daniel 6.10, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. See, when you are taught and when you are taught to live God earlier on, early from your young days in your life, when parents, you teach your kids to have God so imbibed imbibed in them, this is what follows through their life. It doesn't matter that sometimes your youth may walk away because you've already implanted Jesus. That will still spring up at one time or another. God does not forget his children. And so Daniel was thrown. The king 
gave command, and they brought Daniel, verse 16, and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. How do you like that? The king had confidence now. King Darius had confidence in the God of Daniel. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring. And then he went into his palace and spent the night fasting, and he could hear the lions roaring. There was a picture that hung in my grandmother's house of Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel was just leaning against the cave wall, and the lions were sleeping at his feet. I've seen other pictures where Daniel is using a lion to sleep against as he waited out the night. Can you imagine the faith that Daniel must have had? He's already been through so much in his life. His life threatened so many times that now is not the time to lose his mind. He went into that den knowing fully well that God could, he could die, but he also knew fully well that God could keep shut the mouths of those lions. Can you imagine this man sitting and just having this nice conversation? Hey, buddy, how you doing? That's right, that's right. Let's just, let's just sleep out this night together. So confident was Daniel in this God whom he served because he was always back at the altar. The next morning, the king rushes to open the den and he calls out verse 20, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And then further down in verse 26, you know what happens, they don't, they don't show this in um, Veggie Tales and, and other child depictions, illustrations of Daniel's story. They don't show that the men who put him there and their families were all thrown in. And even before they could hit the cave floor, they were eaten. Doesn't show that. But in the Bible, it says it's true. So God does have his vengeance. And the king says in verse 26 I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He did not lose his mind. When you stand in the strength of our almighty God, there is no way that you can lose your mind. Last, 
last Friday evening, I was supposed to be here. Instead, I was in the urgent care with Armando. We weren't expecting it, but the ear infection that had sent him to the urgent care along with three of my other boys a month ago has now resurfaced for him, and the pain was now radiating down his jaw. And because I had commitments here, I said, well, honey, maybe this can be put off until um, Saturday evening or Sunday. He said, yeah, maybe, maybe. But then I thought, well, that's dumb. Why would I want him to continue to suffer and let it get worse? And so we went to urgent care, and I remember sitting there in the same chairs that we were in a month before, and I said, and here we are again, Lord. Here we are again. I had been in urgent care or the emergency room. This would be the fourth time or third time since September that we would be in an urgent care. And you would think that my mind would be going crazy. Because guess what, folks? My car is still in the garage. It has not been fixed yet. Still waiting on insurance. Some things still have not been resolved. And now here again, we sit in a waiting room because my husband is sick. And Armando is the only person I know that can be in the waiting room, in, literally in the office with the doctor, and be the only one cracking jokes at the expense of himself and making the doctor laugh at his ailments. And I realized that that is my husband's coping method, laughter and trust in Jesus. And as I sat there, I thought, here we are again, Lord. Car's in the shop, but you know what? My heart is okay because I trust in you. I'm not losing my mind because I trust in you. So I sit here and I pray, Father, that he will be okay. And I know he will because I trust in you. And of course, as it is, you stay a while in waiting rooms. And by early Saturday morning, I had several commitments here, announcements, prayer, Sabbath school, panel. And I was so exhausted, I could not even lift myself from the bed. But my mind was saying, you need to be at church. And I was apologizing to God, I'm so sorry, give me the strength. And God told me, Jennifer, sometimes you just have to admit that you just can't do it anymore. And call upon help. And I said, who can I call at 7 in the morning, two hours before church is supposed to start? You give me the names. And he gave me, and in... 10 minutes, I had Elder Mo, who was willing to do the announcements, Elder Angela, who took over for prayer, and Brother Mike Stevenson, who took over for Sabbath school panel. And Pastor Rose says, you take care of your family. And I turned on church, and I was trying to watch, and the next thing you knew, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm like, what happened? <laughs> I missed everything. And the kids said, 
but that was the best rest you've ever had, Mom. And I could rest because my heart was in Jesus. I could rest because I trusted. And I was confident. See, in Psalms 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he mediates day and night. Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruits in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. My leaves were not withering, my family is not withering, my husband is getting well, and we are prospering. Because I am rooted in the vine, and my prayers are constantly being lifted to God. Sister Angela talked to us about our silent prayer, our our prayer vigil partner at night. And this is Jesus, and she gave the example of Jesus at Gethsemane, and I want to add that, yes, Jesus came to show us how we can live in the Father, but Jesus prayed that night in agony, showing us how to pray, showing us how to go back to the altar, not knowing what was going to happen, but being willing to give up his life to the Heavenly Father for our sakes. And he did this in full faith and love for us so that now in this time, we can know how to stand in faith in him. In Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me. He heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my foot upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and many will trust in the Lord. Where are you planted today? How much are you going back to the altar? A culmination of what happened that weekend, we went grocery shopping on Sunday or Monday, Sunday, and then we went to Walmart, so my family, because we're big, you know that big huge box of eggs um, that has 60 eggs in it, two trays, that lasts two meals for our family. So I'm used to this box of eggs. And at the height, before the pandemic, this, this box of eggs cost $6.74. When the pandemic hit at its height, the box of eggs cost $14.97. In December, that price went back to $10.97. Hallelujah. So getting groceries this past weekend, I take this box of eggs and I pass it over the scanner. And it says 1997. And I said, have mercy. This is wrong. Clark, this is wrong. Can you come try this again? She goes, what's, what's wrong? 
I said, this is not the right price. And she goes, oh, you can try it again. So I, she removed it. I tried it again. She goes, 1997. I said, what? She goes, you know, you should buy it here because at the Walmart down the road, it is $24.95. And I thought, I am not going to spend $20 on a box of eggs. So I told Armando, okay, get two bags of chicken. That's cheaper than this box of eggs, and that's two meals there. And so I left the eggs and got the chicken. Now, God knows that my heart was really with the eggs, but I just could not justify spending $20. I kid you not, just a couple of hours after we got home, a dear sister dropped by our house, and she hands me some groceries. Oh, thank you so much. You didn't have to do that. No, I'm thinking about you and your husband and your family. You're welcome, Pastor Jen. And then she hands me an envelope, and she walks out, and I'm like, oh, no, why'd you do that? She goes, no, no, blessings. And I start laughing because I open it, and now I can buy my box of eggs. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. Before everybody shows up at my house with a box of eggs, please don't do that. <laughs> the thing was, I could have bought the eggs, but because I'm so stingy <laughs> and I cannot justify a $20 box of eggs, God says, I'll take care of that for you. And I never even had to utter that. I never even uttered that prayer. He just heard that in my head, like, oh, God, I really wanted that box of eggs, but that's okay. I'll deal with two bags of chicken. And that cash was already coming before I prayed that prayer. So this is what I'm telling you. God also sees the little desires of your heart. When you keep your heart and mind in him, and you obey and you trust and you know that he's going to make a way, he also sees the little things that you want, and he provides for that too, before you can even ask. This is the God whom we serve. What is in you? How deeply are you rooted? How much are you going to the altar? Because Thieves do not attack empty homes. They attack those, they rob those that are filled with something of value. Do you have what's of value in your life today? Do you have Jesus? Are you so lived up in him that you can walk knowing that your car is broken down, that there's no money in the bank, that you can't finish the work that you need to do, but you know that God is carrying you? Where is your worth and is your worth Jesus as, and is he in you? Come back to the altar. God is saying, like Daniel you won't lose your mind like his three friends. You won't lose your mind because you will continuously come back to me. And when you abide in me, I will abide in you. And you will live. You will live. Take the next step. The altar is waiting. 
He's waiting for you to give it all up to him. Take the next step. Text 954-388-8780, ALTAR. And we will get in touch with you and introduce you to a life in him. Walk with Jesus. Come back to the altar. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation's Seventh-day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you would like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.